My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock. And I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... The thing is, I want to learn. And as it turns out, I work with people who know a lot about classical music. Every week on this show, one of my coworkers will give me a homework assignment, a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the classical classroom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the classical classroom. I'm Desha Clay, and today my instructor is going to be Ms. Catherine Liu who is the host of Classical 91.7's Afternoon Concert and also the associate producer for The Front Row, our daily arts magazine. Catherine, welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I don't have to do the interview for once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, it, how does it feel to be on the, on the receiving end? Kind of cold. It's yeah. kind of cold in here. That's why, that's why I wore my Snuggie. My uh, really, really sexy Snuggie. Houston Public Media. Houston Public Media represent. So Catherine, as you may or may not know, is a violinist as well as a producer and host. So and, And as I was reading in your bio, I mean, I already knew you were a violinist, but I didn't know that you were actually... A badass. <laughs> like, Why? Thank you. You're welcome. Tell, tell Texas Allstate Orchestra. Okay. And um, yeah, those were good times. It was playing in. I played violin all while growing up, and orchestra was my main extracurricular activity in high school. And I did, you know, solo and ensemble contests, and um, was in the Texas Allstate Orchestra. Nice. Yeah. That's so cool. And it's it's funny because I was thinking about it and so many of the announcers here at the station are also musicians and somehow their careers, their time spent doing music led them into classical radio. And right. so what what was it that that made you make that transition? Well, I got my start in college radio. Okay. Back in the day. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it was a student-run station in Chicago, and I had a, I <laughs> haven't thought about this in a while, thanks, Daisha, <laughs> how old I am. Um, <laughs> I, I had my own show, and I did a minimalist show. Really? Yes. No way. So I got all the Philip Glass <gasps> and Steve Reich uh, out of my system. <laughs> No, I still love I, I still love the minimalist, but it was like wall to wall minimalism for me. Yes. Was it like a, an hour long show? Uh, it was an hour long show. Okay. It was simply called minimalism, all lowercase. Well that's as that's you know, <laughs> fitting. <laughs> nice and minimalist. Um, but I was also an English major. Oh yeah. As were you, Daisha Clay. True story. Which um, is part of the reason that I chose a Midsummer Night's Dream by Mendelssohn for us to talk about today. I know I will be getting into that, but yeah, I thought it would be really fun to have a literature connection yeah. in the piece that we're doing. We can geek out on Shakespeare together. And yeah. also, of course, I love, love this piece of music. One of the first that I fell in love with. It's really, it's really a great piece. And as I was listening to it, I realized that I've heard this piece over and over again. 
here at the station, um, just, you know, in the overhead speakers. And I've always wondered, why the hell are they playing <laughs> the wedding march? Like, what? I didn't realize that it was the last movement of of this. Is it is it called a symphony? I, I, I saw that it's, it's called um, incidental music. Yes. Okay. So this is considered incidental music, yeah. which means music written usually for um, another form of art. Okay. So music written for the stage, for the theater in this case. You could say it's written for dance or video games would be considered incidental music. And movie music is also considered incidental music. But uh, so it's, you know, so it could be background music. It's incidental to what's happening on screen or on stage, but sometimes it can be so good um, as it is in this case where you can appreciate it on its own. It has its own sort of world of emotions and tells the story in its Mm -hmm. own way. So is that then what you call this, this collection of how many movements is it? Well, the, the the entire incidental music is it, it has a lot of movements. Um, it even has vocal sections. Oh, really? So we're not going to talk about uh, all of it today. Um, what's most often performed, and what you might most often hear on the radio, is a suite of the instrumental sections. Okay. So that is what we have. You could call it a suite. Um, the suite from the incidental music mm-hmm. is what we're going to be talking about and oh. listening to today. So this is mm-hmm. just a chunk of something much greater that Mendelssohn right. wrote, I see. You know, I was, speaking of the literature connection, I was going over, it's been a long time since I read that play, so I was um, refreshing my memory, uh-huh. reading some um, spark <laughs> notes, which no one should do, students. Um, and, and I love this play. This is also my favorite Shakespeare play. It's kind of like, it's called, you know, A Midsummer Night's Dream, but what it really reads as is a Midsummer Night's acid trip. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird, kind of like the whole fairy scene in the in the woods with with Puck, and they're they're putting some kind of potion onto people's eyes so that they'll fall in love. I mean, that just sounds like drugs. <laughs> but it's so fun. <laughs> It's a no, good it time. Is. It is. I mean, it's really, it's, you know, like a good Shakespeare comedy. It's it's great. And it's surprising, you mm-hmm. know, it's how, how contemporary some of it is. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. I also read some cliff notes <laughs> <laughs> to refresh my own memory. So, you know, this play in is a comedy um, by Shakespeare. And it is set in a magical forest. And it moves between the fairy world and the human world. So in the fairy world, we have Oberon, Mm -hmm. the king of the fairies, and then Titania, the queen of the fairies. And they're having some issues um, because Titania has this changeling boy that Oberon wants. Mm -hmm. Um, She won't give him up. So he plots to have Puck, his fairy servant, to cast a spell on Titania to fall in love with the first thing she sees so that while she's in this kind of confused state, he can take the changeling boy from her. Like this, this potion that they're using is some sort of it's some sort of love potion, and they and they wipe it over your eyelids. And when you wake up, you're the first person you right. see 
you you fall in love with and right. this is this is the um place from whence the <laughs> hilarity and yes serious. problems yeah. arise from this uh-huh. <laughs> yeah this potion that's supposed to fix everything so we've got that going on and then in the human world theseus who is the duke of athens is getting married to um hippolyta uh, Hippo- yeah okay so and this is like the event of the season so this is like, you know, Kate and William getting married. Everybody's talking about it. And because of that, we have a group of what is often referred to as the rude mechanicals. So the rude mechanicals are basically like um, these lovable rednecks who <laughs> want to, you know, get in on the action and the, and the festivities. So they're, they're getting ready to put on a play. And the main guy in the group of mechanicals is Bottom who he mm-hmm. wants to play all the leads mm-hmm. <laughs> in the production. <laughs> bottom is being a pain in the bottom. Uh-huh. And he gets changed into, oh, can I say ass? You can totally say okay. ass. He's a I pain in the ass. He gets changed into an ass by Puck. And then Puck arranges it so that when Titania, back to the fairy queen, when she's under her spell, um, when she wakes up, the first person she sees will be bottom as a donkey and mm-hmm. she'll fall in love with him and then shenanigans ensue um and then okay then the last part that, that the part that you need to know about the play is also crowding this magical forest are two other human couples mm-hmm. we have um hermia mm-hmm. who is in love with lysander mm-hmm. but her father wants her to marry demetrius mm-hmm. uh, and demetrius also loves hermia so mm-hmm. there you've got your um love triangle but who loves Demetrius? Helena. Yeah. <laughs> Who is Hermia's good friend. And so Hermia mm-hmm. calls her up and she's like, girl, I'm getting married this weekend. Are you going to come? And so then they all go into the forest together, Helena hoping to, you know, snag Demetrius. But, oh, that does not happen. Not and then and then Oberon, the, the, the fairy king, sees all of this and mm-hmm. thinks this is really messed up. And he tells Puck, like, what's wrong with these foolish humans? They don't know anything about love. Um, He wants Puck to, like, write the situation so everybody Mm -hmm. loves who they're supposed to. And Puck is supposed to use that potion that you described to Mm -hmm. get people to wake up and love the right person. Mm -hmm. But he keeps messing it up. And you could argue maybe on purpose, (laughs) like, for his own amusement. So he keeps messing it up. He can't get the combinations right. And this causes more hilarity in the forest. Then he finally gets it right, and he has them fall asleep, wake up in love with the right person, and believing that it was all a dream. <laughs> and this all leads to the triple weddings uh-huh. uh, and the wedding march at the end. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I'm interested in why Mendelssohn wrote this music. Was he writing it for a performance of the play? Uh, he, was. Like okay. he was. He was. He was commissioned by, I think, the King of Prussia. to write this music for a production. And this would have been in 1842. Um, But the interesting thing, and we can cue up the overture, the interesting thing about the overture is that the overture was written early. The overture was written in 1826, Mm -hmm. 16 years earlier, Uh independently, when Mendelssohn was only 17. Whoa. Yeah, so... So at that time, he just loved the play, like you and me. Right. (laughs) He loved this play, and he was just inspired to write what's called a concert overture, an overture that stands alone, that is not for 
a stage production just to be enjoyed mm-hmm. as a piece, a single movement piece. Okay. In fact, a concert overture is um, the precursor to the symphonic poem, oh, which you and Amy Bishop discussed the tone recently. Poem. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of the 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 predecessor to that genre. This concert overture inspired by a work of literature. I see. Yeah. Huh. That's so neat. So yeah, let's take a listen. What does this make you think of? Well, it makes me think, wow, he was 17 when he wrote this? <laughs> that is... I, I mean, just just the opening is so... Setting the what? tone of that magical forest. Uh-huh. And we've got our fairies scampering around. It reminds me of, oh my goodness, the Nutcracker Suite a little bit. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the... Which would be written later. Mm-hmm. So maybe, who knows, Tchaikovsky <laughs> had heard this and was it was in his subconscious. So we, after those, the, kind of the, the fairy dancing, uh-huh. now we have this very regal fanfare, mm-hmm. which I think of as the human world. So just as Shakespeare's play moves between the fairy world and the human world, Mm -hmm. Mendelssohn's music, you could interpret it as doing the same. Yeah. So, you know, you might think of it as hunting calls going on here in the foresty theme, Mm -hmm. or this sort of majestic sound of, you know, there's a wedding that's going to be happening Mm -hmm. soon. This is what I find so interesting about classical music as I've listened to more of it during this show. Um, when Amy and I were talking about tome poems uh, in, in our episode, I was just sort of fascinated by the way that um, Smetna was able to capture the sound of water flowing. And now, you know, I'm listening to Mendelssohn wordlessly, you know, create this this um, this fairy scene and then move between that and this very sort of regal, you know, scene like you're talking about. I mean, maybe that is what you are supposed to appreciate about classical mm. music, but this is totally new to me, <laughs> you mm. know, just sort of seeing that aspect yeah. in the music. I think when you can feel... Um a story being told. I mean, mm-hmm. although that is certainly not the only way to appreciate classical music, um, but storytelling is very powerful. Mm-hmm. And listen to this part. So we have um, the braying donkey. That's bottom. Oh. Going hee haw, hee haw. Uh-huh. I like that. And this is more regal Theseus action <laughs> happening. I mean, what I love about this 
music, and in particular the overture, was, or I should say is, um, that you can hear all the characters mm-hmm. and just feel the story unfold. Mm-hmm. So we're back to sort of more fairies, plotting. Yeah. So this overture of the humans. It's kind of. It really is kind of giving a, a musical Cliff Notes version. Yeah. Of kind of of the play. Mm-hmm. Okay. And foreshadowing. Yeah. Okay. Like you won't hear the um, wedding march mm-hmm. theme in the overture, and he might not have conceived it at this point because he was only seventeen and not writing mm-hmm. for um, a stage production. But yeah. You won't hear the wedding theme, but you'll hear. Uh, so, so maybe he doesn't want to give that part away, you know, it being an overture. But I think of this, what's happening right now, I think of it as foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of, there's still sort of this like fairy, light fairy playfulness going on, but we just heard some of these powerful dramatic horn calls, like as if, ooh, mm-hmm. something might be brewing. Yeah, <laughs> something dark and mysterious. Pizzicato? Pluck, yeah. pluck, pluck. Yeah. What what do you think? <clears throat> Puck making a mess of things? I'm gonna <laughs> I like that. Yeah. He's sneaking, ar- sneaking, sneaking around, around tiptoeing. You know, yeah. I first heard this piece when I was in eighth grade, mm-hmm. when I was reading the play for the first time, and um, totally, totally brought the story to life. That's so cool. I was a nerd. <laughs> no. <laughs> reading Shakespeare in my spare time and listening to Mendelssohn. What do you on mean? On vinyl. Were a nerd. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> it's okay, I was too. <laughs> this is the first time I've really listened to uh, Mendelssohn. I mean, I've heard Mendelssohn, but I haven't really ever listened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like it. It's, it's really... Um, it it kind of reminded me, actually, of... Smetna, the the sort of uh, there being all of these different moving parts, and it's so intricate. It's such intricate sort of. It it sounds sort of uh, fragile, delicate, mm. you know, and very expressive. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mendelssohn was a prodigy, much like Mozart. And sometimes people forget or or might not even know that about him. I mean, he was like a child prodigy, and he wrote a bunch of music as a teenager, I mean, such as this. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was from a privileged family. Mm -hmm. He spoke multiple languages. He was, you know, he was a watercolorist. (laughs) (laughs) Also a nerd, you guys. (laughs) 
And um, he had an older sister, Fanny, who was also, I, I believe all his siblings were musical. His older sister, Fanny, um, her music is still played today. She was a pianist and composer. And then he had um, a brother named Paul, who was a cellist. Paul <laughs> Mendelssohn. Doesn't get enough credit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always say. So here's Bottom again, graying. Definitely some cartoon action going on. Yeah, in this music. a little little Looney Tunes yeah. vibe. <laughs> and what's also amazing about this overture is that he not only did he write it young, but later, sixteen years later, when he wrote the incidental music mm-hmm. officially, he, you know, tacked on the overture. But then the rest of the incidental music is so seamless mm-hmm. from. The overture, like he created the same spirit and the st- same sort of style, uh-huh. and he, you will, you'll even hear him reuse some of the same themes, mm-hmm. like the the braying of uh, the donkey. Yeah. So, I mean, can you imagine returning to something you started 16 years ago and make it seamless? No. <laughs> I mean, and especially, you know. As uh, having written it as a teenager, I mean, I guess if you wrote something as as an adult and then maybe went back to it in your later life, I could I could see that. But as a teenager, you know, your brain isn't formed yet, <laughs> and and you're and you're going back to something from a like almost an entirely different person by the time you're in your 30s. So yeah, that's that's impressive. Now I think we're heading into my favorite part. A lot of fairy action. <laughs> A lot of fairy in this, action. In this overture and in the play, of course. Yeah. So we're still entering. Here we go. Favorite part. Okay. Ah, the strings. So this is, you know, the lovers falling asleep. Ah, okay. In the forest. Yeah. Maybe that final time when things have finally sorted themselves out. (laughs) Right. It's like a little lullaby section. You know, you think of, you know, this is where you think of Puck saying, um, if we shadows have offended, mm-hmm. think but this and all is mended. <laughs> you know, that you have put slumbered here mm-hmm. while these visions appeared. That's what oh, that's this good. part is. That's great. <laughs> it's 
just a dream. It was all a dream. All a dream. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so so the overture. That's our that's our preview, our uh, you know sort of summary of the play, um, f- and foreshadowing, and then where do we go from there? Well, we can go right into the next movement, which is the scherzo. Okay, now what is a scherzo? Excellent question. I came prepared. <laughs> Glad you asked. <laughs> Glad you asked, Deisha Clay. <laughs> so scherzo, um, technically, in it, literally in Italian, it means joke. Mm. A scherzo is um, usually a movement within a larger work, but it could be a standalone piece. Um, that is usually, and it doesn't, it's not always jokey or, or necessarily lighthearted in spirit, though it, it can be and, and often is, mm-hmm. but it, it is a sort of quick, playful piece. Okay. Um, and Mendelssohn's scherzo, what we're listening to right now, has become very famous and almost like a standard mm-hmm. for scherzos. Um, I mean, he didn't invent the scherzo by any means, it had been around, but this sort of light, sort of fairy mm-hmm. dancing mm-hmm. Um, that he creates in this scherzo, gossamer um, yeah. flitting about, um, that was very, that was unique and um, is, be- is still beloved today. And this yeah. movement is still even arranged and performed on its own. Oh, really? So scherzo basically means schizo. (laughs) Like it's jumping all over the place. It's crazy. Uh. So this scherzo movement, it's one of the most famous sections of of the incidental music. Really? And um, I mean, I I think it's illustrating more of um, the fairy fairy world, Mm -hmm. Um, the plotting, the scheming. Right. (laughs) And the lightness. Mm-hmm. Did they have wings? I don't <laughs> in, know. In this play, I, I can't remember, I but I did they know. fly? Um, I mean, I assume you can, that yeah. that's what distinguishes a fairy from a human. <laughs> but <laughs> but this sort of floaty, mm-hmm. you know, just otherworldliness. Mm-hmm. But also great mischief. Yeah. Huh. Once Mendelssohn kind of uh, set... He set the uh, the gold standard for for scherzos. <laughs> <laughs> what was anything born out of that? He went on to write. Um, I mean, you you can find examples of similar um, scherzos in in his other pieces, where he just was so good at creating this kind of mood mm-hmm. and um, atmosphere. Yeah, and people will even refer to it as you know. A Mendelssohnian scherzo. Hmm. It's like become a noun and an, and an adjective on its own. I want to become an adjective. <laughs> what would your adjective be? I don't know. <laughs> Dacian. <laughs> yeah, it's very. It's um. The pace of this never stops mm-hmm. it just starts right out of the gate and it keeps going 
I have even heard an arrangement of this movement, the scherzo, on Russian folk instruments, like the balalaika, the domra. Uh And it's still good, (laughs) (laughs) which just shows how, you know, a great melody Uh can really translate. I was just thinking that it would be really cool for like a speed metal band to perform that, turn it into like a two minute piece. Okay, so, so this is nocturne, which I'm assuming has something to do with nighttime, <laughs> because I'm so smart. A midsummer <laughs> night. Oh, whoa! <laughs> Synapses connecting. So, what does this make you? Well, this is clearly when when they're they're sleeping, and. Uh, Yeah, Love the, is in the air. Yeah. <laughs> Love is in the air. <laughs> Your love potions are in the air. Uh-huh. I'm thinking this is the part where everybody is innocently sleeping and Puck is going around and, you know, n- drugging them all. <laughs> all in a day's work. For a fairy. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, a nocturne, and you said, you know, clearly, Midsummer Night's Dream, there's the connection between night um, and the story. Mm -hmm. But uh, is is a nocturne a a kind of music as well? Is that, is that a, or is that, is this strictly? No, it is also a... Genre. Oh, okay. Um, you'll find lots of examples of nocturnes by many composers. Mm-hmm. Um, Chopin wrote many lo- nocturnes for solo piano, mm-hmm. and for example, and a nocturne clearly is sort of the antithesis of a scherzo. <laughs> <laughs> it's very sleepy. A lot of French horn going on up in there. It's night music. Night music. I like that. So you can imagine, like, the warm breezes, mm-hmm. the moonlight, mm-hmm. and the forest as the lovers are falling asleep. Mm-hmm. They're not going to know what hit them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love 
how there is such fantasy in this play. There's there's mistaken identity and all these great Shakespearean hallmarks. Um, there's mistaken identity. There is they're feisty, disobedient women. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because Hermia, the the reason that they're in the forest. And they're like this is not taking place at the castle or wherever they live, um, in the in the human world, is because like her father has said, you know, you're going to marry Demetrius or you're going to be you know punished to the full extent of law, which I'm I'm assuming, like at that time, you know, you could actually be um, imprisoned or something by <laughs> for not doing what your dad said to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. Um, so uh, she says, yeah, whatever. And she goes off and she finds the man that she loves and she's like, come on, let's go get married in the forest instead. <laughs> she's just like completely unafraid and mm-hmm. she gets her best friend. You guys may be familiar with this one. (laughs) So we've skipped some sections, but, you know, hit on some major plot points. Uh And here's our happy ending. It's so hard. It's a comedy. (laughs) Everybody gets married. Right? And to the the proper people. Despite Puck's (laughs) screw-ups. You know, it's really hard to to hear this music as anything other than wedding music. You know, to hear it as, I mean, clearly this was the, the, the first time that people were hearing this was as inc- incidental music for this play. But it's so, I mean, it, it is now everyone's wedding music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's really hard to hear it as part of a piece or part of a, this, this grouping of music. And I have a fun fact for you, Ooh, if you facts. don't already know this. Yeah. So this piece was written in 1842, mm-hmm. as we said earlier, and it was in 1858 that it was used at a real royal wedding oh. for the first time. Oh. Um, and it appeared at the wedding of Princess Victoria Adelaide Mary Louise. Wow. She was the oldest child of Queen Victoria, mm-hmm. and she was getting married to Frederick William IV of Prussia mm-hmm. again on January 25th, 1858. And she was the one, trendsetter, who started it all. <laughs> <laughs> she used this as her recessional music, huh. and it has since caught on. That's so cool. What? What on earth did people play at weddings before this song I came about? Know. Well, I mean, I guess there are a number of examples of how classical music is so embedded into our pop 
popular culture, mm-hmm. and, this, and this is one of them, how it's just endured mm-hmm. for so long. And It's just synonymous with, with uh, weddings, I mean, this music. It's, you only have to hear, it's kind of like the whole uh, leitmotif thing, where you just need to hear a few notes, and you're like, oh, that's a wedding. Somebody's getting married. Yeah. Okay, so you said this. Now, what other pieces of classical music are embedded in us? You know, just culturally. If you think of... Um, <laughs> well, I think of, like... Well, I, when I think of pop culture, I think of commercials uh-huh. and all the classical music you hear in commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like Pachelbel's Canon. Mm-hmm. Oh, Do you remember yeah. when it was used in those GE commercials in the 80s? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I don't. I, I, I bet if, but I'm, you know, Pachelbel's Canon is also used at weddings. Oh yeah, that's true. All the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good example. Rodeo by Aaron Copeland. There's a really famous dance called Hoedown, mm-hmm. and that was used by the Beef Council of America <laughs> to sell beef. Really. And so whenever I hear. Uh, that tune, it's like, beef, what's for dinner? <laughs> that was the commercial while Copeland was playing. Yeah. <laughs> so, listeners, if uh, if you guys can think of any other pieces of classical music that are very firmly embedded in our collective cultural consciousness, send me an email at dclay at classical917.org. I'd be interested to know what you guys think. So that's the end of the play. Everybody's married. Curtain goes down. Did Shakespeare have curtains? I don't know. (laughs) People threw flowers on the stage. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Triple wedding. So everybody gets the right girl and the right guy. Mm -hmm. I think the thing with the fairy king and queen, Titania and Oberon, I guess, I think that gets resolved as well. Mm -hmm. I think she does give up the changeling boy. They take the the spell off of her, or they reverse the spell. She's no longer in love with Bottom as a donkey. <laughs> Back with Oberon, <laughs> and uh, and I love this this monologue that we end with uh, with Puck, the one who the fairy who sort of has created a lot of this, was responsible for a lot of this mischief because he's put the spells on the wrong people. Mm -hmm. Um, And he kind of faces the audience and says, you know, no offense. (laughs) (laughs) This is all for fun. (laughs) Pretend it was a dream. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're still friends, right? (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Just such a charming, charming play, in my opinion. And yeah. Uh, equally so, the music, which just, I think, tells the story so well. Like, I can't think of the two things separate from each other. Mm-hmm. I could really I could really hear it when you were uh, when you were explaining it to me. It really reminded me, in fact, a, a lot of, of uh, my Star Wars lesson. Um, so I can never hear the music to Star Wars in the same way again, because now I'm hearing all of these light motifs about, you know, that that um, signify the, the, yeah, different the different characters. Themes. And it, th- this was very much like that. A part of the 
of the play is represented in the music. I totally did not hear that when I was listening to it on my own. That's fascinating. So cool. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Catherine. This was really cool. So I learned all about um, what incidental music was, what a scherzo is, what an check, overture check, is. Check. Yeah, I got a lot out of this lesson. Great. Um, I'm going to go out and try to find um, more examples of scherzos because I think those are pretty cool. And I really would love to hear a speed metal version <laughs> of this one. Yeah. Well, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on Classical Classroom. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Anytime, if you want to come back, please do. Um, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.